Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bob or You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. everybody this is go home bible you're drunk the podcast where we just talk about the bible and our relationship to it now that we are no longer full-time volunteers in the christian (laughs) religion my name is justin i was a pastor technically not a volunteer i suppose i was paid for many years to recruit people to volunteer for jesus (laughs) so that i could go home and not do the work so that was me um joined with my lovely co-host across the coast. Yes. Hi, I'm Tori. I was definitely I was definitely a volunteer for sure. My dad actually was maybe like the one the one good piece of advice my father gave me in terms of like church stuff was um I wanted to go and do this like internship program that was at this church in Las Vegas. For any of you who grew up charismatic or know what I'm talking about, it was Benny Perez's church. And my dad was like, so they want you to pay them $3,000 a year for you to work for them for free. It's like, no, no, not happening. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I tried, I tried to pay to volunteer. <laughs> That's, that is a common practice. In my other podcast, Recovery, we interviewed Janice Legata. Delightful. The, the episode will be out later this month, like late, later in July. But yeah, she worked, air quotes, for Hillsong for many years. And yeah, it's, it is a common practice in evangelicalism to have people have a job they volunteer for or pay to volunteer. Once again, marketing like business school and evangelicalism. <laughs> Yeah. You're using the same textbooks. Yeah. The whole paid internship thing. It was it was created in the business world, but I think the church has perfected it. Damn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, Whatever. But we are going to try to not be too down this episode. I think we're trying to do Such like an every hours. other week, yep. every other couple of weeks, um, where we'll do like more of a deeper dive into something that's maybe a little more difficult. I mean, still somewhat humorous, but and then other weeks we're just gonna kind of just mess around with yeah. the Bible and whatever's and going on and not really not be depressing and try not to be depressing part. Of, honestly, it's, it's for your mental health, the listener, but it's also for, also for our mental health. I can only do so many deep dives into whatever the fuck evangelicals are up to this week. <laughs> I have a limit. I do have a limit. So, so we're going to do a new segment. This this episode i was gonna say this month we're gonna do this new segment and we're just gonna call it what am i currently obsessed about and 
It's so a if you have ADHD, you know this exactly. Is for you. <laughs> so currently obsessed about, as in like this afternoon. And you know, we may do this segment again. It may be a recurring segment, or we may never do it again. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. So it's just basically, you know, whatever we're currently obsessed about, we're going to talk about for a little bit. We'll try to keep it on theme with our podcast, but mm-hmm. you know, who knows? It depends on what we're obsessed about. Truly. So I, I guess I'll go first since I introduced the whole thing. I just went on a tour of my town. I, I'll tell I'll stop to tell people the town I live in. I live in Westerville, Ohio, which is just outside of Columbus. And it, towns are known for things, you know, like I don't know what what is Portland, Oregon known for, Tori? Anti-fascists and roses, (laughs) Roses. having like international rose gardens. (laughs) Yeah. Normal, normal things that go together all the time. Yeah. You know, and, you know, other cities, you know, like New York is known for, you know, Broadway and whatnot. Well, my town is known for the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. (laughs) It was the headquarters of the Anti-Saloon League, and they successfully added, you know, the prohibition of alcohol into the constitution. Like, I was just thinking about this, like, it wasn't like a federal law. It was an amendment to the constitution, which is not an easy thing to do. Prohibition lasted for only 13 years, but it, it, so I was on, I did this walking tour. It's called the tips, the tipsy temperance tour, where we all had drinks in hand and we walked around our town learning about how weird it was. And the prohibition era was wild, y'all. Like it was wild so anyway so our town was kind of the headquarters of that and kind of where they kind of all descended and they had they had they descended they descended seriously they they kind of came from other towns and because you know westerville had has been known as having support for that and they they mailed you know millions of pounds of pamphlets pamphlets out and about how, you know, drunkenness decreased productivity and licentiousness. And, you know, it was, you know, alcohol money was money that should go towards bread and food and clothing, which is, is Fair. true. Fair. Valid. Fair. <laughs> there's a there's a monument kind of in the middle of the town. It's like a wedge. And on both sides of the wedge are like quotes from like both on both sides of the issue because it very much divided our city and divided our country, really. And it's a lot of both sidesism. Like mm, I was gonna say I, that's I, exactly doing, what came I'm, to mind. Yeah, I'm doing this tour and I'm thinking like there are so many parallels. Like American politics, no matter how much things change, they mm-hmm. do very much stay the same. So, but I learned a couple fun facts. Fun as in some of them are actually fun and some of them are depressing and strange. Alcohol consumption in the United States, you know, when I think of prohibition, I think of like what people can't have a beer at dinner, like that's crazy. Like, <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> this was like hard liquor. I, alcohol consumption peaked pre, like before the Civil War in this country, and roughly on average, based on the consumption and the population of the United States, people were drinking about ninety gallons of hard liquor a year. <laughs> that is like unfathomable to me. Because, like, okay, this—if you're saying on average—is this for like every adult? Because you. Like, are you excluding slaves because they weren't supposed to drink and babies also generally not encouraged to drink a lot? (laughs) Because I'm like, if it if it includes all those people also like average, like population across the board, like that's 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 like bananas. That's a lot. of Yeah, it was is a lot. 
There's a lot. So it was a problem. I get it. And people were, huh. paid, were paid in alcohol too. Um, oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. That was, what? That was, that was relatively common. Uh, at least. Yeah. So like if someone oh, needed, someone needed a field cleared, you know, mm-hmm. you know, on like the weekend or something, they would create this, it's like they called it stew. <laughs> and it was basically like this boiling vat of alcohol what? and syrup. What? Like maybe like some water and you they would like get it at the end of the day. So it was like a really shitty like cocktail. Yeah. It <laughs> You're was getting like, a warm, shitty cocktail yeah, for your like days work. It was like a hot toddy or something. That except, sounds much, much worse than a hot toddy. I'm except, sorry. Except like, ridiculously like it was a slurry. Strong. Yeah. There was some sewage in it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're not asking questions. Water was not good to drink. Water wasn't safe. I get it. True. So because of this, you know, because it's like, okay, you're getting your pay for the day. And also we're going to pay you in like a couple shots of this rot gut that is going to make you like want to pass out immediately. And, you know, there, there was a need for people to privately consume alcohol in like a saloon oh, out of the street. <laughs> like I get it. <laughs> um, so I mean, it was a problem. And actually, it was interesting. This tour did bring to light that there was a lot of crossover between the teetotalers and the kind of anti-saloon league and also people that were for um, women's suffrage. So in some ways, it was a very progressive movement in that sense. You know, they were pro-worker and pro-family and in, in ways that weren't like we think of like these old like women like running into taverns with hatchets to chase people out, which they did. But it wasn't just that either. Yeah, no, they had a whole like ground campaign that they were running. Like they were they were really serious about about all of this. And there was there were like churches split over this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Into the uh, wets and the dries. Yep. <laughs> That's what they the call wet. themselves. Yes, they did. The wets <laughs> and the dries. I, he said this on the tour and I thought it was kind of a joke. Like, oh no, it, it, yeah, the wet's in the dry. Are, are you a dry or are you a wet? I hope I'm a wet. <laughs> God damn it. I don't even know what this means. And I'm still <laughs> uncomfortable. This makes me, <laughs> yeah. But, but like, there were bombings. Like, there was a, um, there was this dude. I felt so bad for him. Dude was just an entrepreneur trying to make a buck. Uh, his name was Henry. I forget his last name. He opened a saloon in the town and in our town westville and so opening day that night people broke into the saloon and busted up all his alcohol well this hard-working american man he got up he noticed this happened he like got a carriage went all the way to columbus got more alcohol brought it back in time to open at 9 a.m so luke <laughs> opened at 9 a.m there were no. preachers like dragging piles of rocks to make pulpits in the streets to preach against the saloon. Oh, so they were making pul- They were so they were getting their. Uh, they were getting on their little soapbox in front of the saloon to preach against going into the saloon. Yeah, this does not sound familiar to me at all. Yeah, yeah, there were yeah armed protesters taking people's names. Like they had diaries. Like we actually have the diaries, like in our little historical society of like people who was going in to receive this service, this devil's service, <laughs> if you will. So yeah, totally not things that happen today at all. There was like an organized police force, police force in quotes. It was like the 
Westerville Justice League. I'm not even kidding. It was a Jesus name. It was, like, it was a name as absurd as that. I forget exactly what it was. That would stand outside to intimidate people to keep them from going into various alcohol establishments. Yeah, the last biggest thing was this guy, the dude that opened this saloon. He eventually had to close it down. He, the same guy, Henry. He later bought a hotel, like right in the middle of town. It's where a movie theater is now. And there's a reason the movie theater is there now because he bought this hotel, opened up a saloon. It's all legal. He's like, I'm going to make some money. This is going to be great. No saloons for miles. I'm an entrepreneur. Well, two people decided to, uh, they requisitioned two barrels of gunpowder from somewhere that went missing. Some military, something or other went missing, quote unquote. Wow. And one night while 20 guests were in this hotel, they, they blew it up. Jesus. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, Nobody died, thankfully, but he like, Oh my God. the, The guy, Henry, he suffered a head injury, lost two teeth and never returned to the town again as you do when terrorists blow up your business it's just yeah it's like terrorism like it's just so freaking wild that this was going on in this like relatively unassuming town but it also was very like it it was very deeply ingrained like once prohibition happened there was not a, a beer sold in the city limits until 2006 so that was like 70 years yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They auctioned it off. The beer apparently went for like 150 bucks. Oh, well, yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I mean, there's breweries and stuff now. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, actually a cool little town. It's not a war zone anymore. But anyway, it's just, it was just wild to like, to, to learn this history and to see weird parallels. I just feel like fundamentalism knows no bounds and it's absurdity knows no ends. But also it, it did show to me too, like that, a grassroots network of people that are really dedicated to something. Sending out mail. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's literally all they did. They sent out mail all the damn time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And got a But you know, you know what else that they did is they they definitely like mixed religion and politics. And that was oh, part yes. of that was part of like, well, a white why, why it ended up working, but that was part of of like some of these like fractures in these churches that ended up breaking apart was because people some people are like i'm sorry this politics and religion have nothing to do with one another and if we want to encourage people to be like i don't know whatever word they were using prudent wise yeah citizens temperate then like we need to encourage that on a societal level not like use the government to like force people to stop drinking which I think is a valid argument, but there were a lot of like part of the reason that they got so, and especially in the South, part of the reason that they got so much political power, like the dries to be clear, <laughs> the like anti-alcohol league, part of the reason that they got so much political power is because they were convincing these ministers to like sign up and like preach against alcohol consumption. And then people started voting that way. Doesn't again does not sound familiar to me at all. Mark Twain, I don't know the actual quote. It's it's on the it's on the wet side of this monument. That makes sense. But the quote was actually telling in the sense that he's like, you know, prohibition isn't going to fix anything. It is only going to drive alcohol consumption into the dark. Fascinating take. Pause for Did effect. he get canceled for that one? 
he, he wasn't able to drink for 13 years. <laughs> uh, I'm sure oh, Mark boy. Twain drank plenty. Oh, clearly, clearly he was, he was just fine. Yes. Not a problem. He had uh, friends. Yeah. But yeah, it is. If It's just, yeah. And again, their whole thing was like being pro family and like the societal reformation and everything they were able to very successfully tie literally any problem in society to consumption to alcohol to alcohol you know divorce rates will go down families will stay together people will have more money in their pocket you know gas prices will go down they don't really have gas prices but i'm just saying like they just everything people have fewer abortions god will bless us yeah people <laughs> you know like if we get rid of this and they did a very good job of of appealing to emotions and appealing to people's also rationality to like 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 having little bar graphs and so i i i think somewhere where maybe progressives today could learn something is like is learning how to appeal to both of those things well because i think we either throw a bunch of data out, which doesn't mm-hmm. help a lot of people, or we do get a little bit in our feels. And I feel like we need to get a do a better job of combining those things and and being able and being able to to appropriate religious language in yeah. ways that are helpful, yeah. not in ways that are yeah. manipulative in the sense of like, but a little bit manipulative because that's what they're doing and they're winning. Yeah, like, and it's it's hard because it's like what is where's the line between effective and manipulative? Yes. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would, I would argue that like evangelical churches are very manipulative, but they're using things that are effective for people who are not intending to manipulate. Like they're, they're using like the same skill set, the same tools, right. The same resources to make like these arguments and like get people into their spaces and you know, whatever else. Yeah. I don't know. Let's just kind of, let's just, where's the line? I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know where it is, but yeah, the, the whiskey war in my the little town. War. Like in, yeah. The whiskey is, war of Westerville. Is, is, was just, it was a fascinating little slice of life. And I'm glad there are many breweries and distilleries now. Flourishing. <laughs> flourishing businesses. Living their best lives. Yeah. There's actually a new one opening up that I'm super excited about. So, you know, the, the the wets have it. Indeed. Indeed. Let's hope it stays that way. Jesus Christ. Yes. So that was my current obsession. And yeah, and just the history of it, but also just, yeah, how, yeah, it's the same shit, different issue. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. What, yeah. what are, what are you obsessed true. about recently? Um, this, this week I'm obsessed with uh, the sex lives and sexuality and gender of, um, some of Christianity's more influential fellows, <laughs> you might say. Yeah, no, I was like, I don't know. It was the middle of the fucking night last night. I don't know what happened. And like, I couldn't sleep. And I was like, holy shit, is Paul Ace? This is the and text was, that she sent me. <laughs> this is literally like, I would, yeah, this is literally the text that I, that I sent Justin. And I was, I'm like thinking about like, you know, he's, he's literally telling people like, this isn't from God. This is just my opinion. However, I'm including it in this book. Like, don't get married. Mm-hmm. It's a trap. And like, so to me, like, first of all, like to me, that is, that's just really fucking ballsy. It's like, this isn't God speaking through me. This is me speaking for me. Like, no fucking. 
Just uh-uh. don't do like, it. Like not even the married folks. It's like you should even consider taking breaks from fucking to 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 pray more. <laughs> like, yeah, to pray what? more. Because I do that. <laughs> I'm like, when I'm not fucking, I'm praying, Paul. How did you know? <laughs> so I was just like, I mean, what I is don't pray without ceasing. If I feel that's like true. Fucking pray at the same time. True. Yes. Um, You're screaming, oh God, the whole time. So it's yeah. fine. Yeah. So the <laughs> so I'm sorry. So then Rhea replies to this tweet that I put out and she was like, I thought he was gay and the the thorn in his side was dick, which is also a valid interpretation. No one really knows. He's very vague. He is vague. Wonder why. Yeah. So there was some really interesting kind of conversation on this like little tweet that I posted and somebody was like, well, you know, you can't be a Pharisee unless you have a wife, which again, doesn't preclude you from being ace or gay. But yeah, apparently at some point he was married, but then he was definitely saying like, I'm not married. Don't get married. That shit sucks. <laughs> so yeah. very his wife, down his on wife went somewhere. <laughs> he had a terrible, Paul had a terrible marriage, which might've been why he was so angry. I don't know. Maybe he was just a straight guy with anger issues because I don't know. He was married to a really strong woman who didn't let him do whatever the fuck he wanted. And so now maybe she was the thorn in his side. <laughs> right, exactly. No one knows. I know. Maybe yeah. he's writing like, don't get married. And like, she finds out about it. Like, what the fuck? Paul? <laughs> it's like, and if you do get married, don't have sex. Quit having sex in order to pray. Because that's what Jesus wants from me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what oh, but Jesus doesn't want it. Paul does. <laughs> but maybe Jesus does also. But you're honoring Jesus more by spending less time fucking and more time praying. But I'm super um, into Jesus and I don't do it. <laughs> Maybe you should consider meaning that. like think about my example. It, it is so condescending because he's like, well, you know, it's better to be married than to burn with passion. Right. But it's like, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> he's like, like, that's not something I struggle with personally. Like, yeah, we get it, bro. We, we get, get it. it. <laughs> we get it. You don't like sex. We get it. It's fine. Yeah. And this isn't to like throw ace folks under the bus, like purity culture screwed you over too in many ways but yeah yeah like, no i'm just like paul was just such an asshole that i have to like ask all of these questions yeah like yeah it, something was up mm-hmm. something made him not like everybody else i think whether it was whether it was whether it was gay or neurodivergence or being ace or whatever i don't know um, i have I, I just came up with a theory go on but it's yeah because because he is advocating for something that was abnormal in society at the time spiritualizing it to a degree that is borderline abusive honestly yeah truly and but but also like being very not consistent which i think is a hallmark of kind of that i mean as someone who did a lot of self-loathing myself Mm -hmm. inconsistency is is kind of a hallmark of that yeah so yeah like he's like don't obey the law but i'm gonna circumcise timothy (laughs) myself (laughs) <laughs> like why like why like yeah. why, of all the laws mm-hmm. to keep why that one yeah. sir and, and why this boy and why are you doing it sir you are not a surgeon luke is clearly here he's writing this <laughs> shit down why is luke not doing this <laughs> <laughs> the doctors over here like what what the fuck is happening right now uh yeah so there there was that so then of course i started thinking about saint augustine or augustine mm-hmm. he can correct me if i'm saying his name wrong he can let me know just at me who I like 
early Augustine, I very much resonate with because he was like kind of like more sexual. He had <laughs> a healthy just, sex drive. It was his it was his favorite pastime, which I think is really valid and fair. He does seem rather straight. Like there's nothing about him that is particularly queer, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. So he he got into all kinds of trouble and also like obsessed over not having sex when he stopped having sex. Right. Cause there was a point at which he was like, I'm going to be celibate because I can't be married and honor God at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like I, just... I got to choose one or the other, <laughs> you know, and as if he was addicted in some way, I don't know the sex addiction addiction necessarily, real thing, yeah. but, but if I, I can admire him understanding, having, having the self-knowledge enough to go like, it's all or nothing here. Right. Right. Something <laughs> Paul did not seem to possess, but whatever. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So this guy, which again, I'm just like, I, I really, before you got saved, like I really liked you. <laughs> he was a hussy and I am so here for it. Like, like early Augustine, his escapades that boy are, got around, yeah. got around. Like, so sorry, I don't mean go to ahead. derail us, but no, go. Have, have, did you ever, like when you were in evangelicalism and I think even Pete Holmes has a bit about this, but like, you know, there's, you know, someone would come and give their testimony and they're like, I was in a gang and I rode motorcycles and did drugs and I had sex with 500 women, you know, like just like this, like crazy. And, but then I got saved, like, oh, like we got saved too early. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Yes. You're like, oh, oh, you're saying I could have done this later. I could have. What? Okay. What? <laughs> like, well, it's this bombastic story that everyone's hooked on. And then, like in the last five minutes, but now I'm saved. <laughs> no, oh my gosh! Do that. <laughs> That's how Augustine reads sometimes. Like it's like this crazy stories about what he was like, like almost like he's reliving his glory days. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. And he's I don't know. To me, it's like he he was just he was so. I think that being not allowed to have a thing that is just normal makes yeah. you like unhealthy like makes you kind of obsessive in a way that is just not ideal this is again like i don't i don't have any data to back that up it just kind of seems to be like a theme that that carries through but yeah so augustine hardcore hated he was like it's it's god or sex (laughs) can't have both um so he like he has a mistress with whom he has a son and he is just like love and life and fucking everybody. And I mean, this is a very clearly like pro non-monogamy podcast. So I don't personally have a problem with any of this, <laughs> but then his mom blows in, which apparently he's kind of a mama's boy. And she's like, okay, but listen, so there's this woman in Milan who's like really high society. She has connect. Her dad has connections, excuse me. And uh, you should marry her. She's a, she was a child, apparently, by the way, she was like, you should not have sex for two years, like be celibate for two years until the girl reaches a marriageable age, which realistically was, you know, 15. Maybe. Cleanse yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he's and his mom goes, you gotta, you gotta send your baby mama away. So he does do this. He sends his baby mama away and then pretty quickly thereafter gets another mistress about which he says, I thought it should be too miserable unless folded in female arms. The man needed folded. He's also straight as an arrow. Like (laughs) that is all there is there. (laughs) 
yeah so he's just like he just he i don't know it's it's interesting to me that he has like he has so much to say about sex and marriage and procreating and he considered like having sex without the intent of getting pregnant to be a pardonable sin <laughs> so you can do it i guess if you have to. but uh he recommended celibacy sexual abstinence for married couples <laughs> Yeah, this is him after his glory. Right. After he gets saved, he does the whole Jesus thing and goes like full purity culture. He he invented. He invented it. And so I think that I think that but I think that he was inspired by Paul, who had a very clear, deep amount of self-loathing. It's like, uh, I'm the worst sinner. Like, bro, calm down. No, you're not. What are you talking did about? Did you kill any? Did you kill people? Did you? You like, did one guy. It's fine. <laughs> did you kill people? It's like no. I just watched their coats. I I, I kept their coats while they did uh, the killing. No, but I'm like this is like also something that just before we started recording, Justin and I were speculating because I was like, oh my god, what if Paul killed his wife? <laughs> like, what if he was a serial killer and like none of us know? She's a Christian. He's like, he hated being married so much that he was like, I'm just going to send you to heaven early. Like, it's fine. Just wait for me. Yeah, Paul, man. Wouldn't that be wild? I'm sorry. Like, wouldn't that be wild? (laughs) Like, it was discovered. There's some letter somewhere. He's like, like, Ruth, I couldn't couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Just had to get it over with. So this is why I now get to write all of these epistles claiming to be unmarried. Gotta have my cover. Uh Uh-huh. It's like, oh, she died. I thought that I thought, you know, I thought that she was going to, um, I don't know, Corinth with you. She's like, oh, yeah, she died. She died on the trip. She died on the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shipwreck. Shame. Like, huh? Oh, yeah. All those shipwrecks that he was in. Yeah. Nice, buddy. Mm. Very subtle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Paul was a really bad influence on Mr. Augustine here, which I don't like. I think that it's really sad that he didn't get to have all of the fun sex that he wanted to have because God needs to get better things to do than just constantly be watching like a billion people fucking all the time, all day, every single day. Taking notes. And like not solving actual problems. Like if you have that much attention to spare, like you should probably work on some real things. Stop stop dicking around in people's bedrooms. Like Nobody consented to this. God, God is like the ultimate voyeur. I just realized like that is, that's, that's how that's, he was portrayed. That's his kink. Absolutely. He likes yeah. to watch. There's these guys have so many. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? The entire Trinity is just like one kink. That's been like shoved into a single entity. They all, they all got their thing. And it's not like, it's not like kink shaming. It's like, you're shaming us and doing the thing that you're saying we shouldn't do. So maybe don't be a dick. Maybe that'll be Jerry Falwell Jr.'s new thing. Like, don't be a dick. Like, well, no, like, cause he was caught watching his wife and another man. He's like, I'm just being, I'm being like the Lord. <laughs> being like somebody, the Lord. You know, it's like, somebody has got to keep an eye on the people who are, who are sitting. And that was, that was what God called me to do. Yeah, but it's a trend with these famous these guys. Like we we were talking about John Wesley, who's like this, you know, very famous. You know, United Methodist Church is based on John Wesley, and you know, many other branches, Nazarene. Like there's a lot of branches of Christianity that that derive from John Wesley. And dude, I mean, I don't. He he wasn't like a womanizer in the sense that he slept around, but 
Boy had a lot of crushes. Had a lot of emotional affairs. Yeah, he did. Yes, he had a lot of emotional affairs and he whined about his wife to anyone that would listen. You know, my my university that I graduated from, Indiana Wesleyan University, purchased a authentic letter of John Wesley, like for their like university archives or whatever. And and it was like a letter where he's like dishing about like not loving his wife and having a crush on somebody else. Wow. Like, I don't know how many millions of dollars they paid for this authentic <laughs> artifact. Um, oh, that Lord. That's, that's kind of funny. That is fucking wild. And I mean, and to be fair, John Wesley was abused by his wife as well. He was a very small man. Apparently, she was a very large woman. Apparently, she, you know, was unkind, up, was, was roughed him up and was physical with him and unkind. But even so, <laughs> like, and, and, I can feel for him and have empathy for him, but it's just this weird like thing where it's like, we elevate all these people that have these very strange sexual problems, <laughs> but then like swoop it under the rug. Like, yeah. Like this didn't affect what they were preaching or teaching. Yeah. Which is no the same thing that we do with slavery, like in, in like American theology is it's like, Oh yeah, these people had slaves, but that didn't affect like what they like. How, what do you mean? It didn't affect what they were preaching from the pulpit. Like, what does that even mean? It's like that, that's your entire source of income. Like, but sure, it doesn't affect you. Yeah. Sin right. is in the hand of the angry God. It just, it just slaps so good. It doesn't matter that Jonathan Edwards had like two or three slaves. Yeah. He was, he was not, I don't know. He was apparently not a sinner. Like that's another thing though, is all of these guys are condescending as fuck. Apparently Martin Luther liked his wife, which to me is rather surprising seeing as he and Paul have a lot in common. <laughs> Although, yeah, I will say that, that Martin Luther, to me, I think I may have said this on the podcast before. He he lived too long. <laughs> yes, like like his. I mean, in the sense that every medieval Christian was anti-Semitic to an extent, but his wor- the his worst stuff, like the stuff that was definitely like used in Nazi Germany as theological support support for, for yeah. the final solution, ethnic cleansing, um, uh-huh. and ethnic cleansing. That was usually that was about the last 10 years of his life at where I just think he was like senile and mad. It's like, man, if you would have just died of a cold 10 years earlier, I think the Protestant church might be in a better place. Mm, uh-huh, like, uh, uh-huh. Jewish you know, people would be in a much better place. So we could we'll take that, too. Yeah, I'll take that. Well, I think if, if Protestantism is in, in a healthier place, most of the population of Europe, Christian or not, is probably going to be in a good place. Truly, truly. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, but apparently he had a great relationship with his wife and loved her dearly. And honestly, of the great theologians I can think of that were married, he might have had the most healthy relationship with a woman. Which doesn't make sense. But whatever, it's fine. It's not fine. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. It weirds me out. It weirds me out. Because I think that he's just as much of a dick as Paul was. Yes. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying, like, if he would have right. died 10 years earlier, we might be in a better spot. I feel like this is true for a lot of billionaires as well. So not naming names, just there's only a few of them. So you can figure it out. <laughs> it's like, hmm, things might have been better for everybody if you just, like, called it a lot earlier. And, I don't know. I don't know. Yeeted yourself into space. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta repopulate the planet, man. Can't be going to space without 14 children with eight different women. <laughs> it's just negligence. Uh, yeah. 
negligent. So yeah, this is what we've been obsessed about, teetotaling and the sex lives of great theologians. That we will never know anything about. That will, I mean, the, except yeah, the, for what they wrote down. Yeah, except for what they wrote down. But it's fun to speculate, and we hope you enjoyed our speculating with us. If you have a speculation about a famous theologian, conspiracy theory, if you will. Oh, uh, I love this. Yes. Yeah, the Paul was a serial killer is great conspiracy theory. If you've got if you've got Please. receipts, man, tweet Bring that it. shit. Yeah. Uh, um, we want to know all about that. We want to know all about that. We will have you on. Yes. <laughs> like the bigger the yarn wall, the better. That is where we are landing this plane. We want to see those yarn walls. Um, <laughs> so let's take a quick capitalism break and then we'll be back with our Bible story of, that has basically it's full of not teetotaling and debauchery. So it's so exciting. It is uh, my kind of thing. All right. We'll see you. Bye. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, everybody, we're back. Thanks for putting up with, you know, capitalism slash us breaking even on the podcast for a little bit. Very appreciated. I believe we have a new patron this week who gets a little shout out, Kevin. I do have to admit the first time that Justin said your name, I thought he said heaven, which sounds like a very ex-evangelical name to have, frankly. So anyway, your name is not heaven, apparently. You also were, you can take that or leave it. Um, Our gift. <laughs> you should, we're renaming people, apparently, <laughs> on the <this> show. <laughs> like new patron reward, you get a new name. You get a new that's, name. Very, that's very biblical. That, that is very biblical and very church-like. <laughs> Honestly, maybe maybe we should make a patron tier where you get a live verse and a new name. Yes. I love this. Thank you, Kevin, for all this inspiration that you've given us tonight. <laughs> Sweet. So we are going to talk about a Bible story that I find funny as fuck, personally. One of the very few Bible stories where I would have liked to have been in attendance. <laughs> well, I have to admit, like, I really, I can't hang. So there is that, like. But anyway, yeah. What are what are we what are we going to talk about? We're going to dive. We're going to go into Daniel again, and we're going to be in chapter five of Daniel. If you want to follow along <laughs> in your Bibles, in your Bibles, just to let you know where we're at, we're at. So we were talking about the fiery furnace, and that was King Nebuchadnezzar, which is a fantastic name, and it's sad that I can spell it accurately. So this is his, well, in the Bible, it says it's his son, Belshazzar. That's actually, it's actually not his son. It's his grandson is Belshazzar, who is the king of Babylon, even though Belshazzar was never the king of Babylon. Wait, Justin, did you just, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Yeah. So I'm just going to, I'm going to break this to you slowly. Thank you. Tori and listeners. The Bible plays fast and loose with the facts. You don't say. And the details. So uh, Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. His son, or Nebuchadnezzar's son, was 
I don't know how to pronounce his name because his name's not in the Bible. Oh, yes, that's very valid. Yep. <laughs> Nabonidus uh, was the last king of the Babylonian Hot. Empire. So he was away and he basically told Belshazzar, won't you run things for me while I'm gone as the crown prince? And mm, that's always fun when daddy leaves. So, so daddy left to go away and Belshazzar was like, hey, y'all want to have a party? Yes. Um, yes, in fact, I do. So so that's that's where it is. So. So the Bible plays fast and loose with the details. Hey, papyrus was, you know, it was it was expensive. So I can see where they would just be like, yeah, he's the king of Babylon, whatever. And Nebuchadnezzar's his dad because, you know, dad, granddad, whatever. So anyway, book of Daniel and there's a party. And it's like a rager. Like, I mean, like I can hang for a day, but like some of these feasts they describe are these like multi-day drink fests american level drinking (laughs) (laughs) america in the 1800s level drinking going on at this party so yeah so tori do you want to you want to take it from there yeah yeah so i i want to share one one little thing just because going hard is is a thing that i understand they did quite well in ancient persia and babylon (laughs) They, they when they up. weren't putting people to death, they were having really awesome parties. Yep. I would love to be at one of these parties. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, because it like, it's just like, I don't know. It's all the like, I don't know. It just seems cool to me. It's all There's the fun parts of ancient history. Food. Yes, exactly. Food, drinks, drugs, fucking. Why would you not want to attend one of these things? Like, I don't know. I, to me, I just imagine everybody's like mostly high and like swinging. <laughs> So, <laughs> and looking fabulous while doing it, and looking lovely. Oh my gosh, everybody smells good because it's like the king's having a party, so you can't show up smelling like ass. Yeah, you gotta do the thing. So, well, well oiled, wet, if yes. you will. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Okay, so, uh, anyway, King Belshazzar, Belshazzar is how we always said it, gave a Great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. So this is already like, there's a thousand people at this party and they're all like, apparently ostensibly wealthy. They all have connections (laughs) to the king or, you know, the guy who's in charge right now. And yeah, so he was just like, these apparently I was, I've been told went on for days or weeks. One horrific little stat that I heard that I'm positive was made up was that one of the things that they would serve at these parties was salads made from hummingbird tongues. Oh, excuse me. Uh Uh-huh. Like lots and lots and lots of dead hummingbirds. I don't know why I was told this. This does not appear to be true based on any internet research that I have done. Uh, Christians like to make things up. I mean, that said, (laughs) if I was invited to a party, and they said, we're going to serve hummingbird tongue salad. That would be a feature, not a bug for me. <laughs> oh, see, to me, like the only I thing mean, that I think horrific, about with that is also... like, there's, that's like a million dead hummingbirds. It's <laughs> true. Which tiny is tongues. awful. <laughs> which is horrifying. Like, well, um, like, like foie gras, like the goose yeah, liver butter. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's horrific to think about. And also a tasty snack. But it's fucking delicious. 
I know. Oh, anyway, I'm going to move past that not true piece of information that I was given. <laughs> so, a lot, obviously, a lot of not true information. I a lot said, of not true information our, in this particular that, that book. That should be our drinking game. Yes. Lies you were told about this party. <laughs> Go ahead, I take mean, a drink. We're, we're at, yeah, we're, we're at two or three. Yeah, um, so, apparently... Belshazzar drinking his wine, getting lit as fuck. And then he goes, oh, yeah, my dad took all of these gold and silver goblets from the temple in Jerusalem because everything in the temple was like gold and silver and covered in blood. And he's like, let's use these to drink out of because we don't have cups. <laughs> like, why? I don't know why this occurs to you. <laughs> We've run out of cups. The Soho cups like, are done. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like they they ran out of solo cups. And so somebody had to go hustle and get these cups from God knows where. Like, were they just around? Like, were they in the, were they in the palace? Were they like on know. the ground? I just, I have questions. I don't know. And so anyway, Daniel says, the book of Daniel, chapter five, more specifically. I don't know if Daniel actually wrote this. Is this even attributed to him? Anyway. No. Um, so it says, as they drank the wine out of these cups, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So apparently they'd been going pretty hard because they got like all the way down the list. Uh, 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 the God of rock, <laughs> which I mean, some rocks are legitimately real cool, but yeah. still like, that's a little weird. So anyway, then they all experienced this shared delusion in which a hand, a disembodied hand appears out of nowhere and starts writing in the plaster on the wall. The Bible is very clear near the lampstand in the mm. Royal palace. So like a well-lit area. Yes. People could read it. It was, it was like a billboard. It was like, you know, OG billboard. And so the King apparently watched the hand as it wrote. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking, which I do have to say that could have also been the drugs. That wasn't yes. necessarily the hand. You might have also been feeling the effects of something that you have consumed. <laughs> anyway, King freaks the fuck out. I guess that's the thing Kings probably do a lot. And so he keeps all these like basically, I don't know, like witches, warlocks. It says enchanters and diviners and astrologies astrologers these people are just kept on staff which that's like a high-risk job to me do you ever think about this <laughs> like because if you fuck this up yeah you're not gonna make it no you're not but you probably got paid pretty well to sit around and do almost nothing true i don't know true i don't know and he the king's like i need i need to know what the fuck is going on what was written on my wall and he's like i'm gonna give this big reward to whoever can like read this for me and he's gonna this whoever it is can he apparently it's it's clearly a dude because women can't read or something will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom sounds fake and um well, it so makes sense that he would be the third highest ruler because belshazzar was not number one he was number two <laughs> you know? he's like i'm whoever's beneath me they're getting kicked out they're going to fourth place so apparently all the king's wise men came in and you know, looked at this, this little letter that was written on the wall and I didn't know what it meant, which, you know, it doesn't seem like it was written in their language. So that makes some sense. And apparently the King is getting like more and more freaked out. Like he's just getting more and more worked up about the fact that like this hand came, it wrote a thing on the wall. Nobody knows what is happening or what it says. 
clearly the party has now ceased. <laughs> this sounds like a major bummer. And this is absolutely when I would have gone home. Um, yeah. so <laughs> this party's dead. It's over. It's done. done. Yeah. No. They're bringing in um, <laughs> sober people to look at writing on walls. Mm-mm. Let's go to my place and right. we'll get lit there. <laughs> like, so the Bible says that the queen hears all of this ruckus and comes into the banquet hall and starts talking about this man, Daniel, who has the spirit of the holy gods. I don't know what that means in him. I think that that was a thing that was attributed to the Trinity. This was one of the, this is one of those like backfilling situations. I think <laughs> that's what they were. That's what, I'm like, but there's only one it was the Trinity. <laughs> like, okay, sure. Um, she knew that. So <laughs> <laughs> Insert John Ham, oh sure, <laughs> gif. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. So the queen is like, hey, your dad, he had this guy who worked for him. He was smarter than all these other fuckers. He was appointed like the chief of the mu- magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners, which I feel like for Daniel was probably an insulting position <laughs> to be in. <laughs> it's like, you are Hi. all frauds. Hi. Your religion condemns enchanters and diviners. We get it. You are the head enchanter and diviner. (laughs) So the queen is like really on Daniel's team, which I don't know. It sounds a little bit like a reverse Joseph situation to me. Whatever. Maybe they were fucking. Who knows? No, because he was he he was castrated. Um, so, So sorry, Daniel. So anyway, the queen is like, well, I guess he probably still gave good blowjobs. So he says, the queen's like, call for Daniel because he's going to know what this says. So Daniel is brought before the king, which has to be the most terrifying thing that any human has ever experienced is being dragged mm-hmm. before a king. <laughs> In like an urgent crisis. <laughs> In a like, crisis. Like, oh, fuck. Like, this dude's mad. This is not going to be my day. Okay, I can tell. Cool. <laughs> and so the king like starts peppering him with all these questions like are you really who you say you are did my dad actually really bring you here from judah like i've heard all these things about you and it's really kind of like he just kind of starts interrogating him for reasons and that but then he gets around to like if you give me the info that i'm looking for right now you'll be the third highest ruler in the kingdom because i can't give away second place so because that's my place because I'm me. not really the king. This is like what am... this story says. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was he was he was cosplaying the king. It was fine. If everybody goes with it, it's the same as being the king. That's true. Um so this is how uh, power works. This is how power works. Uh so Daniel's like, yeah, you can keep all your bullshit. Like, I don't need any of that, but I can read this, so I'll tell you what it says. So he goes into this whole thing about how God gave all of these kingdoms to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's dad, ostensibly, and gave him all this greatness and glory and success, which, again, this is like a very evangelical trope of like winning wars is God's blessing, right? And so he handed over all of these, all of these nations to Nebuchadnezzar and then kicked him out of his, <laughs> kicked him out of his seat for seven years. Because he was prideful. It's like, motherfucker, he was an emperor. What did you expect? It does something um, to your brain. Like, you are fundamentally broken on a cellular level in this position. So, 
Daniel starts recounting all this awful shit that happened to this dude's dad about how he just like lived in the forest like an animal for years and years, like lost his mind. And then you dad would was think like, that the Babylonians would record their king living like a cow for <laughs> seven years. Are you saying that's that's not in the records? Maybe they were busy that day. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, yeah, so I do think that it's really funny, though, that Daniel brings all this shit up. He's like, by the way, your dad is a cow. <laughs> your dad and, went uh, nuts. <laughs> it's like, so your dad didn't humble himself. And apparently you haven't humbled yourself either, Mr. King, dude. And uh, he's like, you have started a fight with God because of the cups that you took from the temple. <laughs> God That's is really mad over his Tupperware. <laughs> God is big mad right now. I don't think you understand the seriousness of the situation. And says, so he's like, okay, I'm going to like read this thing to you. And I don't know, like, okay, do we know what these words are actually written in? Like, were they written in Hebrew? Were they written in another language? I couldn't find that. The actual like Hebrew words, or is this just jibber jabber that someone made up? You know, right now I'm just going to say it's jibber jabber. Cool. I love it. Okay. So uh, the inscription on the wall the Bible says was mene, mene, tekel, parson. I feel like that last word is different in a different version yeah. of the Bible. Parson or pars, par, parison, pa- Perez, pe- yeah. Paris. So apparently. I think maybe it is Hebrew. Okay. Um, well, that's kind of fun. And because so, the king wouldn't have been able to read it and Daniel would have. This is a fun party we're, trick. We're, we're going to go with this. That's okay. what we're going to go Love with. Love it. I'm, yeah. into, I'm so into this. Yeah. Can't prove yeah. it either way. This is our podcast. We make the rules. (laughs) So then Daniel goes on. He's like, here's what the words mean. And he says, mene means numbered. And like God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. I don't know. This is like, okay. That seems like a not great thing to tell the king. Like, I just want to pause for a second. This has big sober guy punking all the the drunk people. (laughs) energy like daniel's the one who wrote this shit yeah yeah like daniel was the one with like like a hand on a stick writing this shit like in the corner you know freaking (laughs) these people out and then it's like oh let me tell you what it means because they're all high as fuck like they don't know what's happening like Daniel was probably the one that's like, look at that hand. Oh <laughs> shit, there's a hand. Who's over there? You know, like oh man. Yeah. So like this has big like 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 designated driver getting gas, getting twenty dollars of gas at every gas station, taking his <laughs> friends home and and asking them for money. Like this right, exactly, big exactly. Sober guy at a drunk party energy. Which is why he's like, keep your stuff. He's like, I did this. Tekel, 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 meaning weighed, ostensibly again, because I don't speak Hebrew. If any of you do, I guess you can let me know and tell me that I'm wrong. It's fine. Which Daniel says means the king has been weighed on the scales like of justice, I'm assuming, and found wanting, which that tracks for an emperor for sure. And then Parson or Paris, Paris, your is divided. And he says, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And we're going to have, we're going to come back to that in just one little second. So then Belshazzar is like, well, he did the thing that I asked him to do, which like, 
first of all, why were, why were all of the other guys, you're already making up everything that you do. Like, why were you not confident enough to like make up a thing for this? I don't like, I would like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me to be like, yeah, man, I don't know. And so anyway, the King's like, well, give this dude all the stuff. Cool. Like gold chains, third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel's balling out. And then, uh, Belshazzar dies, the king of the Babylonians, the Bible says, was slain that very night. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62, which, correction, Daniel took over the kingdom because he is now number two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was not Darius. It was Daniel. He literally just said that he was number number three. And when number two is gone, you just move up. We all know this. But yeah, so we have some questions about, about this little gem. So, so Darius the Mede took over, mm-hmm. you say? Yes. Well, not me. It's the Bible. The, the Bible. Bible says. Oh, okay. Um, the Bible clearly says, Justin. Okay. So, the Bible is the only source that mentions the name Darius the Mede. <laughs> as far as you we mean, know. You mean, like, you mean like in history, the only source? In history, source. yes. There is no Darius the Mede anywhere else that we are aware of as far as history is concerned the medes did not take over babylon it was the persians under cyrus the great so are you saying that the bible got this wrong yes oh man Uh, again or as biblical scholars like to say um we just don't have we haven't uncovered darius the mede yet yes Someday, there we will, be will a, find a discovery. We will find Darius the Mede somewhere. We will unearth his kingdom. Wouldn't there at least be like coins with this? I mean, if he's 62, he's clearly been around for a minute. Like, you'd think there'd be some kind of documentation somewhere. One would think, but whatever. But Darius the Mede did not exist. Uh, <laughs> according to you, keep saying this everything. Except the book of Daniel. (laughs) So there's that. You know, Cyrus the Great did conquer Babylon. Whether it was during this time, I don't know. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. Uh, But yeah, like, so it's just, it's crazy that, that, you know, there's this story with Daniel and this lit party. And like, I have a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things about like, when this book was compiled, I want to get to, but that's, that's the cool stuff. I want to ask you as an evangelical, what was the point of this story? Um, God, God can do cool. God, God's in charge of who's running the country. I, yeah. Like that's like, (laughs) if you don't humble yourself before God, God will kick your ass out. God will, find another pagan to take over your kingdom. <laughs> to take over your kingdom. Like, yes. well, I, I honestly, in Trumpism, like there were mm-hmm. Christian pastors saying that Trump was like Cyrus, you know, Cyrus yep. the Great, who later on Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, allowed a large number of Jewish people to return to Jerusalem. This was like the book of Nehemiah, which we'll get to at some point. And Cyrus the Great, you know, myth- kind of took on a mythological 
um, role mm, in that sense. And yeah, because culturally he was such an important figure. Yeah, in the sense that like God used this pagan person, this awful pagan person, to do a good thing, to build the wall, if you will. Fuck so uh, yeah, um, I mean, personally, fuck all of that. But um, <laughs> so like that's kind of where this is embedded in some ways. But yeah, it, like. I, Really, what it came down to was like, you better obey God. Governments better obey God or the writing will be on the wall someday and then they will fall. God's in, God's in charge of, of government, basically. It's kind of the odd evangelical way of putting it. But it's like, it's so weird because it's like, well, if it's, a, if it's a Republican president that we happen to have, they're like, God put him in office and we don't get to, we don't get to make, we don't get to question that. And if it's a Democrat, they're like, this person was not legitimately elected. Yeah. Like it, it is. God had nothing to do with this. It is fascinating to me. Like I'm going to drag two sets of people. Like one is like pastors, like and evangelical folks like man they trot out romans 13 like obey the governing authorities and they will beat you over the head about that like for four years under trump and then the second joe biden gets in office romans 13 doesn't exist and we live in a satanic government and we have to fight it pick a fucking exegetical theme and and stick with it just stick with it same with like finance bros republican finance bros there's this dude on that i'm friends with on facebook who markets himself as a finance person probably knows maybe more he knows more finance words than i do i'll say that mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. like i remember during the trump years him saying deficit's not important deficit's not a big deal it'll never be fixed like we're not going to worry about it you know fucking the second joe biden got in office i wish i could have screenshotted his facebook posts because i wanted to play gotcha with receipts so bad He's like <laughs> wringing his hands about the deficit and all his buddies, all his buddies are wringing their hands about the deficit too. And all his buddies were the same people that are like, yep, deficit doesn't matter when it's just, it's so hilarious to me. So like verses like this and stories like it's get trotted out, you know, like in the times when it's bad, according to them, but when it's good, it's like, man, those Democrats, you better shut up and obey the government. Romans 13. I don't get it. Oh my gosh. I, I'm not a fan. I'm really it's almost not into as this. They have no consistent way of understanding this book because it's yeah. not really their book. Yeah. And they also have no internal consistency in terms of their morality or ethics. Like if God said it was good, it might've been genocide, but it was still good because mm-hmm. the rainbow. <laughs> the rainbow <laughs> we got a rem- rainbow out of it. <laughs> The rainbow <laughs> reminds us that sometimes genocide is good. <laughs> you should be so in support of abortion, you guys. What the that, fuck? That also needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> the rainbow reminds us that genocide is good. <laughs> oh, man. But from a Jewish perspective, particularly a Jewish perspective of people living um, in the last few centuries of the bc times and the first century of the ce times i think these stories had some power in the sense that you know that's when these stories were being compiled together and this was a time when you know the jewish people that were living in jerusalem they were being uh, ruled by a greek emperor at the time 
ruler, not really an emperor at the time, called Antiochus Epiphanes, who had started. Ooh, that's a cool name. Yeah, it's a really cool name. And he was banning a lot of their, you know, sacrificial practices in the temple. It's kind of like, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about like, you know, pigs being sacrificed in the temple. And that's, that's a historical rumor from what I understand. It's one of those things that's like people say happened, but there's not like historical documentation that Antiochus Epiphanes was actually dedicating the temple to Zeus and sacrificing pigs on the altar of, you know, Yahweh. So it's like a historical, he said, she said, but the Jewish people at the time were big mad at Antiochus Epiphanes to the point where he was really sparked the Maccabean revolt, which was a Jewish revolt against these rulers. They gained independence for a while. It's a whole thing. All that to say, like, that's when these stories were being compiled together. So stories about God coming through for his people when they are in occupied territory, like as, as a folk tale that people told, like that has power. And that's, you know, that brings people together. That's interesting. That is, you know, and then, yeah, who the fuck cares if it's Darius the Mede or Cyrus the Great? It's some person that is coming in to, you know, God moves through history to protect us. Like, that is a story that you want to tell yourself. Like, and I don't think that's bad. I don't, I don't even, that, that could even be divine or good. It's just when, like, white bearded chuds in 21st century America with, like, designer blue jeans are taking this to be like we got to overthrow the biden government because the gas <laughs> prices you know like dude sit down sit down like you you're making this say something it doesn't say i don't like i'm just like yeah i, I don't know i think that this is like just it's such a good example it's a- an acute example i guess i should say of like why we left because we we're like what the fuck does this mean why were we all taught this like 18 times as kids yeah as kids i i, I actually have a memory of coloring like a coloring sheet yeah. with a yeah. disembodied hand like Writing painting on a wall on a wall like why <laughs> it's a weird story it doesn't really have any like moral or ethical anything to be gleaned in terms of like from an evangelical perspective there was they weren't teaching us anything except like god sometimes does a thing and and it's also weird too because nebuchadnezzar was just as debauched and (laughs) he got an opportunity to go insane for a while and then like and then repent and then repent but his grandson's like well you like because your granddad repented you don't get an opportunity to screw up. Excuse me. What? This math is very weird to me. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. I don't get it. Another situation where God was clearly on his period and was just like, this guy needs to go right yeah. now. And don't like, care how or why. Like, and here's the thing too, like with the whole, you know, the way evangelicals interpret things and the way that, that their understanding of God works in the old Testament. And I always want to try to frame it that way. Cause I'm, I'm, because we're not trying to speak for Jewish people. I'm critiquing the white Christian evangelical understanding of this book. But like God is so inconsistent. Like sometimes we'll use a prophet. Sometimes we'll use a bird. Sometimes it's a fucking disembodied hand writing on a wall. Why? Be consistent. <laughs> oh my gosh, Justin. The Bible is perfectly clear. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, I'm like there, there are, there are Irish folk tales 
that are more consistent <laughs> than this book sometimes. Well, I mean, uh, even like this is like even as a Christian, I I was definitely like, okay, listen, like this is weird, weird multiple continents and multiple millennia removed from when these things were being written. Right. And like the people who translated the Bible into English for the first time, like we wouldn't have been able to have conversations with them, even though we like speak the same language, like nothing they said to us would make any sense. So yeah, I'm like context, I guess really all of that to say, like, understanding like context matters and you're not going to, you're just not going to be able to get as an evangelical, you're not going to be able to get anything out of this story that like a Jewish person might be able to like glean from it because you're already like locked into this lens of like power and like the accumulation of power being proof of God's blessing. Yes. Yes. Right. Which is not, and they 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 bring that, like you said, they bring that lens to the text, whereas like Jewish people don't have to do that. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, that's just not really the point. And I, you know, I really appreciate like the idea of wrestling with the text as opposed to being like, well, God kills the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, God okay, got okay. the bad guys. Yeah, because I mean, I think even Jewish people living in the United States today are a minority people living in a culture that is not necessarily that is anti-Semitic. Own, that is anti-Semitic. Uh-huh. Like, like the reading of this story will be so different. And I think, and I think good in some ways, or at least not take America back for God. Well, I mean, one thing that I really do appreciate about the, like the Jewish folks that I follow on Twitter, just as an example, is the way that like, they don't feel pressured to like make the stories make perfect logical sense. You know, they're not, they're not striving for like scientific and historical objectivity. Like that's not, that's not the, that's not, again, it's not the point. Like that's not why they're, that's not why they're engaging with these stories. Right. Which is like completely the opposite of how we were raised and how we were taught to engage (laughs) with the stories is that this is like a literal historical scientifically sound document. And if it doesn't look that way, then we can just kind of like twist things to like make it look that way. Yeah. I am sure there is some evangelical think tank somewhere that has done scientific experiments on how a disembodied hand could write, like what is the medium which it wrote these words on the wall? It's pro. I don't want to Google it because I don't want to be sad. <laughs> but it probably exists. No, absolutely. No, there's there's absolutely like some apologist website on here right now on Al Gore's internet that explains how this hand came out of the fucking sky without a body attached and just started writing stuff on the walls. And it's probably done experiments as whether it was chalk or burnt or something. Yeah. And what that means for Jesus. I don't know. Probably they thought it is Jesus's hand. Oh, of course. Yes, obviously it was Jesus. Obviously it was Jesus' hand. Anything unexplained in the Old Testament was Jesus. Was Jesus. You know? He was very bored back then. He is the Forrest Gump of the ancient (laughs) Near East. Just everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, all that to say, it's it's a weird thing. Uh, Fun fact, completely random, because I was browsing Wikipedia and I thought, thought this was funny. There was a brand of overhead projector called Belshazzar. 
because of oh, this okay. story. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of cute. I like I, that. I, 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 I appreciate like that. I feel like that's good branding. Absolutely. Because it, it, it puts writing on the wall. So anything else about the story, Corey? No, I think I covered it. I just really want to, I really wanted to be invited to like one of these fucking parties. Yeah. If you were to be invited to one of these parties, who would you want to have cast as Belshazzar as well as... The guy who's getting killed? Well, I don't think... I don't, well, maybe he did get killed. But the, the Persian king in question. Oh, I see, I see, I see, I see. Yes. Well, in this, like, if we're, if we're, like, casting the actual story, then, like, yeah, the guy that got killed. Yes, yes. Belshazzar, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I would... God, this is this is hard. I kind of I would really I'd really like I'd really like Jeff Bridges to be Belshazzar. <laughs> I I'm not against this, but I would like to know why. <laughs> because in my I don't know, it's just like he's a king. He's just like, you know, doing his he's just he's he's so good at like being like fully in these characters. Yeah. That are just wild, wonky, completely like bonkers off the wall, but also like has a very serious side and I just kind of, I don't know in my head. I just think of a lot of um, the movie 300 drastically changed this for me, but in my head, I thought of a lot of these Kings as just like these like kind of handsome old guys, (laughs) which I think Jeff Bridges qualifies. (laughs) He is a handsome old guy. You're right. The movie 300 kind of put that to rest where it's like, I don't even know what gender you are. You were very clearly queer and mm. uh delusional and very tall which was a really good trait to have if you were a king back then you needed to see above yes yeah i guess um <laughs> i want to know what you think uh you know i mean the problem is when you say persian king oscar isaac pops in my head every time like it's okay, just it's fine. just it's hard to get out of that rut that's fair but but if see, I, to me, he's too, he's just way too young. Yeah. But I don't know. That's just, that's just me. Also, I would really like to go to a party where Jeff Bridges was King Belshazzar. <laughs> that's part of why I chose him. <laughs> I, you know, I, and I, I don't disagree. I, I feel like he is, he would be wonderful. I'm going to say for Daniel, I'm, mm-hmm. it's going to be a toss up for we, me. Who have we cast for Daniel before? Um, I don't even remember. I don't remember either. I'm going to say either Anson Mount for Daniel, maybe okay. Christian Bale as well. Huh. For okay. different reasons. I like both but yeah, of them. Yeah, no, valid, valid. I can, I can, I can, I can kind of see that. Yeah. We're doing a lot of white guys, but you know, sometimes, you know. This is, this is a very white story. Like, I'm sorry. The way that we were taught it was 100% white. It's <laughs> true. True. Maybe that's probably why. Like, I'm not there saying some, there's that, some like, Bible stories <laughs> that lend themselves to a very diverse casting, and other times, like, nope, that's a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is a white dude getting drunk, and that's a white dude writing shit on the wall and then saying it's God. There you go. Oh, that, that's it. That's it then. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks everybody for hanging in with us and for giving us uh, your time and attention. I know that's valuable. So definitely appreciate it. If you want to give this podcast to someone else for them to spend their time and attention on, please share and, or help us out with a five-star review. That'd be really great on any of the things, Google, Spotify, 
Apple, wherever you get the podcast. If it gives you an option to give a rating, we are only taking five-star reviews at this time. So please put that in there. If you would like to check us out on the socials, or if you would like to tell us your weird conspiracy theories, uh, at Go Home Bible on Twitter, and also at Go Home Bible on Instagram is where you can find us. I'm Justin D. Gentry or Justin.Gentry on things. Uh, Tori is at Tori Glass on the things. Uh, anything else you want to promote, Tori, or draw attention to? I don't know. If you're going to get fucked up, don't drive. True. And if you're fucked up and driving... <laughs> Right Let's now, because stop. we led you to drink, <laughs> please pull over and walk the rest of the way home. Yes. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, uh, get fucked up in a safe place. Yes, indeed. And, Enjoy. Uh, have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.